All right. Hey, so um, we're just grateful for everyone here. And um, some of you had a long week because of all the sports that's going on in L.A., right? And um, man, Wednesday night, uh, baseball to 1130 and yesterday, baseball again. And then Rams and um, Braun, even though we haven't won yet. But anyways, this, uh, I watch a lot of TV this week, right? And um, I'm sure some of you have as well. Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, it's just a great time to uh, come and worship like this. You know, there's a, a man that, uh, that some of you will recognize. His name, his name is Eugene Peterson. And he's someone who has uh, impacted me uh, tremendously, you know. And um, when I was in seminary, I was introduced to one of his books. Um, I th- it was actually a homework assignment, um, but I enjoyed it because actually the book was very thin, first of all, and it was easy to read. Uh, but he was a pastor writing to pastors, and uh, he wrote a book called uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Some of you might have uh, read that book as well. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, not just that book, but the many books that he has written since, boy, 20-some years ago that I, I've read. You know, they, uh, I've read a post this week that he has now been admitted to hospice care, and he doesn't have much longer to live. I think he's 85 years old and it helps to put things kind of in perspective. I was like, you know, he talked about the long obedience in the same direction, this long journey that we as Christians are on. And he's at the end of it. And I wonder, gosh, what, what, what must it be like? You know, he's, he's finished, and it's such an encouragement to read someone and then to see them now come to uh, this faithful end of this, that he's been this way. And I thought, man, isn't this the, um, the goal that we all have? Not just to retire early or not just to retire and have fun, but to be faithful till the end. And God uh, willing, you know, one day if we reach 85 or whatever we reach, uh, maybe there will be people around us that say, gosh, you know, uh, they they've, were the real deal, man. You know, uh, my mom, she was this way. My dad, he, he wasn't perfect, but man, he really tried his best to live after God. And isn't that so important? And I thought today that um, as we look at this text, you know, there's this warning here that kind of addresses what we're talking about here. It's this idea that, you know, you got to go all the way and be faithful till the end. You, know, you want to finish well. And he uses the illustration uh, that's written in Psalm 95 of, the, of God's response to the unfaithfulness of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so their hearts are hardened and they're bitter and they don't make it into the promised land. And when you look at verses uh, 7 through 11, you know, it talks about this. The, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, you know, and um, they saw my works for 40 years. And all of these things happen under Moses' leadership. They wander for 40 years and they never make it into the promised land. And then he now warns us. He warns the church. The Hebrew says, now it's your turn. And you're on this journey of life and you're headed and you're going on this long obedience in the same direction. These people tried and they failed. Now, will you make it till the end? Will you get there at the end where you can say, and someone will say about you, boy, they were faithful. You know, when it came to things of, of the Lord, they were faithful. Now, isn't that what really matters? And as a pastor, um, sometimes we get tempted for different things, but really this is the, the ambition that we ought to have for the church, man, that people that under our uh, care <clears throat> would continue faithfully for the long haul. And I think about all the, so many of you, 
over the years now, as we have now a little bit of history at our church, now we know, man, over the years, those who have just been there, those who have served, those who have led, those who have given, um, and those are all signs of faithfulness in this long journey. However, none of us, right, none of us are immune to being tempted away. Um, the bitterness of heart that draws us away. None of us are immune to that. And so we have to be very careful. And here in the text, there's, I think, two areas that the writer of Hebrews points out. He says, take care of your heart, number one. And number two is, uh, take your fellowship with Christians seriously. And, and these are the two parts. It's very simple. And I want to highlight those two today. The part, first part of taking care of our hearts. Right? It says in verse 12, take care, brothers, Lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. There's so much to unpack in just that verse. God being described not just as God, but as living God. He says, this is why it's sinful. You have the living God, and you treat him like uh, he's a, a historical figure, Abraham Lincoln. And some of us treat God like he's uh, Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. or someone in history. We might revere them. We might study them. But he says he's living. And so you got to check your heart and know that he is living. So it says to take care. This two words here, take care, um, is literally means to look out is to look out, and it's a, it's a serious command. It's not a casual command. So it's a take care or look out, brothers, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Look out for your heart. You don't want a heart that it starts to get, uh, loses faith. It's considered evil to not believe here. So to look out. Uh, this word to look or to look out, it's, there's two different words um, that you could compare this to in the original language. And one of them is a little bit more casual, if I could say, you know, just to look at something, just to see something. Uh, but this word uh, is used, and the, the commentators talk about this, it's to, uh, to look at with more intent. Um, some have even, one translator said, you could say it's an earnest contemplation. So it's to look at something and to contemplate on it. And so be very careful, be very vigilant, look out for your heart. Uh, this take care or look out that we see, uh, that phrase is used like Luke 24, uh, when the disciples, that, that were, they go in and the tomb is empty and there's the linen cloth and they were looking at the linen cloth. There was this amazement, there was this studying of, they were very careful of this. And he says to look out for your hearts. Now when we say hearts here, uh, if I could say, if we could translate this, the center of a man or a woman, the center, what is your center? Uh, the word heart, cardia, in the original language, we obviously get the word cardio uh, in English from that word. It originated, it meant the central organ, literally, for life. The heart was looked upon as the center for life, but in a, in a, in a not just in a physical realm, but spiritual, relational, everything else, the heart now meant the center of all rational and emotional elements. One dictionary says, the heart is used figuratively for the hidden springs of the personal life. It's the center of our lives. And so we have to look out what goes in. We have to be careful of what we feed the heart. It is so important. 
Uh, we all know that uh, if we take in something bad into our heart, we watch something bad, right? And, and the scientists today, as they study this, they'll look at the effects of the brain as someone w- watches something or plays a video game that is very violent. What happens to the brain? They'll study it. I think it's really, it's talking about the heart, right? And there was one study done years back by the Surgeon General, and they said that uh, excessive exposure to violence for children, it makes three things happen. They become less sensitive to violence. Someone gets hurt, they think, well, it's no big deal. Also, it makes them more fearful of the world. They're just afraid. What if everything's like this? And thirdly, it makes them more violent themselves, right, as they see these things. And the writer of Proverbs defines this. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The spring of life, the spring of water, it meant something good. So if you are in the wilderness or in the desert, you can find a spring. It's living, right? The Bible uses that idea of living water. It's movement. It's fresh. I could drink it. From the heart now comes something good. And so we have to guard our heart so carefully. So obviously we want to guard it from the things that are bad, but we want to fill it with the things that are good. Psalm 119, uh, verse 9 and 11, I just want to highlight this. What should we fill our hearts with? It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? It's interesting, out of all the categories of human beings, he talks about this one life stage of the young man. Why? Because young men are more prone to do young man kind of stuff, right? Um, Dangerous stuff, dumb things. You know, why is insurance cost a lot more for a young man than a young woman? Because uh, young women are a lot better than young men, right? Young men need to grow up a little bit. And so that's what it's saying. Even out of all the categories of humanity, even the young men, if they take in God's word, they will not sin. This is the power of this. This is what it's saying here. In verse 11 in Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me ask, how much have you stored in your heart? You know, if your heart is a container, how much of the word is in there? That I might not sin. So the word of God is in me that I might not sin. I've heard uh, arguments before when they would have like, atheist versus Christian arguments and so on, and the value and the... Um, the ethics that it comes, that morality comes from a God and so on. And, you know, one of the things that I heard the Christian philosopher ask the atheist is, would you be at more, you know, would you be comforted if at, you know, one in the morning you're walking in a dark alley and a group of men approach you and then you find out that they're just coming from Bible study? And of course, the atheist man says, yeah, I would be. Right? Because what happens? Uh, we all know the word kind of changes us. The word has an impact on us. And I want to encourage you to take this, not so casually, but to take this seriously. You know, A.W. Tozer writes, in one of my favorite books, uh, The Pursuit of God, he has a chapter called Following Hard After God. Following Hard After God. And I love that title. In, it, in that chapter, he talks about the upholding of God, that God saves us and he sustains us. So it's not a works righteousness, a works salvation. He saves us, he sustains us till the end. However, on our part, on our end, 
We have to follow hard after him. It's not something just casual. And so we try and we work and we give of ourselves to the Lord. And so we take in the word. You may not understand everything. Uh, It may not be so exciting at first. But the regular intake of the word will change and the springs of life, the good things that give life to others will flow from our hearts. And so I want to encourage us to take this in. You know, Tozer um, has a prayer in that book. And I think this is a prayer that all of us says, says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness. And it is both, it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my desire for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire, O God, the triune God. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. And often, his prayer that he sums up so well, sums up uh, our struggle. God, I, I know what I ought to do. So we follow hard after God, and we take in the word, and let me just challenge you. Yeah, come and hear the word, do the word. But man, every day, come and read the word. Throughout history, when you look at the Christian history, you know, the fight for the word of God, uh, you know, to have the word of God for, for everyone available has been such a big uh, part of our history and the big wins. And now we have it so accessible on our phones, on our iPads, on, on our books uh, in book form. And yet now we're so distracted, we don't go to the Word. So I want to encourage you to go to the Word. Secondly is, take care of your fellowship. We think fellowship as hanging out, um, donuts after, right? And all of that. That's fine. But it's so much deeper than that. And we shouldn't take it so lightly. And we should take this very seriously. It says in verse 13, But exhort... One another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he tells us here to exhort one another. Uh, Some translations say encourage. Encourage seems like a little bit of a weaker word. Exhort seems a little bit stronger. It's the original, in the original uh, language, it's two parts to it para kaleo, para kaleo. Uh, The Holy Spirit is given this title the counselor, um, parakaleo. What the two parts mean, and the commentators talk about this, para means is to be next to. The first part is, is just presence. Physical presence. To be next to someone. To spend time with someone. This is how we exhort. First of all, we have to be there. Um, you can't exhort someone just from a distance can't exhort someone if you don't have some time with them. The second part is, is kaleo or uh, speaking out, calling out. So you get a picture of someone running a marathon and you, know, you see the people that's next to them maybe running with some water and they're cheering them on. You can do it, you can do it. Only two more miles, you know, here's some water, keep going, keep going. And they're, they're calling out. And the second part really is that you have to speak into them. We often neglect the gathering together. We don't realize what a gift we can be to someone just in our presence. 
And secondly, is we don't often speak out. Our pride says, what if they reject you? Our pride says, what if they don't listen? What if you say something dumb? And we act like a middle schooler in class who doesn't want to raise his hand because maybe I'll say something foolish and everyone will make fun of me. But no, he calls us to now exhort one another. So don't just observe. And man, you know, there are so many at our church who are so good at this. They'll walk beside someone in times of struggle and they'll comfort them. Or they'll miss seeing someone come into church and they're struggling spiritually and they'll go and say, hey, you know, I miss you. And they'll, they'll talk to them. Kind of bring them back in. And we're so good at this. And this is, and he says also to do this every day. Do this regularly. Why? Because there's the hardening um, of the heart, right? By the deceitfulness of sin. This could happen. The hardening, so you get a picture of um, wet cement. Uh, And then wet cement is there, and uh, you have a a limited amount of time before you can make some impressions. And after some time, once it's hardened, it's done, and it's over. We have some time to form it, to do this every day. You know, we... As uh, Christians, we offer to God, people of God, what our time, talent, and treasure. Talents, we serve, we do things, our, our treasures, we give, we're generous, and our time. And I think these days, probably out of all three, we would give um, least of our time. Time seems to be of the most desired of the three where we hoard our time. We're busier. Not only that, but we just have a lot more uh, distractions in our lives, you know. And so it takes time. There was a study done in the, at the University of Kansas. Uh, Jeffrey Hall is the professor's name, and he did a study on how long does it take someone to become a friend. So it takes about 50 hours to go from an acquaintance to a casual friend. 50 hours. So let's say you come to church for a year um, and you just come here, let's say 50 weeks, and you have some coffee and you talk and you talk to a few people. About a year in, you say, well, the person's not just a church friend, but he's a friend. He's, an, he's, a, he's a casual friend, you know. I could talk to them. Um, so that's nice. But to move from casual to being a, a regular friend, right? So from the casual to being a regular friend, it, says it takes 90 hours. And then from there to move to now my close friend. Like, I don't have to watch what I say around him. I could call him at any time if I have to. I could say, hey, let me borrow five bucks. I forgot my wallet. It's, we're close. It takes 200 hours. And so it would take years. And sometimes we jump into a situation. We say, I want to find a place where I could maybe find some intimate friends. And it's been two weeks. Man, this is not this place, you know. It's been tough. It's interesting too, right? Because at the end of that verse, um, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. None of you here is in the, in the singular. It's talking to the individuals. It's talking to those who are independent, on their own. None of you. F.F. Bruce, the famous New Testament scholar, 
In his commentary on this, he says that the exhortation to mutual encouragement was wise. In isolation from fellow believers, each individual among them was more liable to succumb to the subtle temptations which passed in from so many sides, which pressed in from so many sides. From so many sides. We all have some blind spots. We all have things we don't see. And to have someone come alongside, hey, hey, you gotta watch out for this. Hey, you shouldn't get involved in this group. Or you shouldn't get involved in these things. Or you should make good uh, use of your time. And to have someone to be able to speak into us, it, it requires humility. Humility that I can speak into someone and the humility that they can speak into me. It is C.S. Lewis who talks often about the love of friends and he says this, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. And he says, is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a good fire. And if you read about him and Tolkien and, and some of them, they would meet at the pub at night regularly and they would talk about theology. They would talk about the books that they were writing and how he had come to Christ through their friendship. Nothing as sweet as this. The Bible gives us a list of one another's, right? If you've been in the church, you know. I just want to share a few. And if we're going to obey some of these, we have to be in relationship with one another. I can't do the one another if I don't know someone. I can't do the one another if I don't care for someone. Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.33, wait for one another. Husbands, wait for your wives when you're going to church, right? Don't honk, right? Um, Galatians 5.13, be servants of one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, comfort one another, build one another up. Colossians 3.13, forgive one another. We are gathered here, and there is a joy, and there is a grace that God gives us when we gather together as a church. And we worship God in this way. And I want to uh, share one last quote with you from Paul Tripp. He says, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God, and in a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects, yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships, never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when the people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within not taking advantage of the resources God has given us. Interesting, he calls us Resources. Resources aren't just things, uh, Bible study guides and study guides. and so Resources are the people who are around us. One of the things I love, and I, I saw this again when I went to Japan this summer. I've been there maybe about a half a dozen times and seen different churches. But in Japan, the church is very small. 30 people, maybe 40 people. 
And in that group, you would have people from literally from babies to not just grandmothers, but great-grandmothers. And they would now constitute the church. And the first thing I remember thinking is, oh my gosh, this is like, I was talking to the people in their 20s, and I was like, you know, it's kind of boring. Like, you know, there's a lot of older people here. Their baby's crying. And I thought, and I was thinking to myself back at home, boy, we just compartmentalize things, and we want, man, all the 20s want to hang out with 20s. They don't want uh, too many 40s. They're too old. And, and then the 40s say, oh, you know, the 20s, it's just the music's too loud or whatever it is. And then, yeah, the 50s, and, you know, it's, I, I can't even hear the music, you know. And, and um, but, man, this is the fellowship, right? And I, I've seen it over and over every time I've gone overseas where the 22-year-old is holding hands and praying together with the 72-year-old. They're friends and their family. And that is the beauty of the church. And so we come here as a resource of God. You are called by God. Your life is so special. Because God's hand was upon your life. Now he wants to use you. And so my prayer for us is that we guard our hearts carefully. And then we guard our fellowship very carefully. And we now head long obedience. in The same direction, day in, day out, year after year, that we will continue and go, God willing. Let's pray. Uh, so, Lord, we think about this. It is often at church we think about what this long obedience in the same direction looks like. And so we pause today and we think about that and we want to keep going in the right direction. What a failure it would be to be successful at things that don't matter, to go far in the wrong direction. But, God, we want to keep going, but we can't do it alone. We have to guard our hearts. Your word, Lord, keeps us. We have to guard the fellowship. Your people are the resources that guide us. So, Lord, give us the humility to keep going in this way. Give us the faith to keep looking towards